You know, there's such a drastic difference between one Q and one Don games on Fox. As I've updated you in the, the previous episode, I'm in my one Don games. I'm currently 4-3, so looking okay. But I've noticed how different the Q games feel to the Don games. The one Q games feel like they just feel like high level Q games. There's a lot of um, well, there's far less silly reading mistakes that I experience in the uh, uh, lower level Q games, but there are still some you know clumsy plays here and there, and play, players are, are more willing to sacrifice things at that level. Um, but there's a lot of still key uh, strategical errors. And the game, what it feels like, it still feels very much like a series of disparate skirmishes. And entering into the Don level here, and, and obviously the, the Q-Don border isn't really anything more or less meaningful than the difference between 14 and 15 Q or you know 3 Don and 4 Don is just another level and it's it's just where we transition from the titles Q and Don but at least on Fox I I feel like there is a substantial difference in the quality of the games and this is my theory which is um that people are commonly ranking themselves as one Don as an entry rank as they play on Fox so maybe there's some qualitative difference because of that kind of thing but in the one Don games that I've been playing, it just feels a lot deeper to me. I find myself seeing it less as a whole bunch of disparate battles, and I feel the board as a complete war, as uh, the analogy goes. And I find that it's a very, very enjoyable feeling even when I lose, I feel like I had a good conversation with someone. I feel like I had a good debate with someone. And there was a lot of interesting ideas exchanged. And that's awesome. I feel like it's something that you can't really describe to people who haven't experienced this. Um, but it's one of the great things about Go where you can kind of feel your mind expanding Sadly, uh, as I improve, it's going to be harder and harder to get to the next level. But you know what? As harder as it is, it's the rewards, I think, are, are, are much greater. Uh, when you do uh, step it up, you find how big the game is. And it's like a huge step for your mind. Welcome to Starpoint, the show about Go for Go fans away from the board. And today I'm going to be going over things I wish I knew as a DDK player. Um, as Go players, there are always people stronger than us. Obviously, unless you're world number one. And so you look up to them and you often find yourself wondering, what did they do to get where they are? And for some reason, they usually don't tell you anything very useful. It's like, what are they trying to hide? It's like, why are they trying to keep me down? Just tell me the secret to get stronger. Meanwhile, you have players weaker than you asking the exact same thing 
And when you try to answer, you find yourself answering the same question in the same mysterious way. It's hard to explain what you really need to do to get stronger. It's not easy to teach, right? So being good at Go it does not necessarily mean you know how to translate um, or transfer that knowledge to anyone else. And so that begs the question, how much do we really understand where our own understanding comes from, right? You may have taken some steps, built a specific training routine and done a bunch of things to get better at Go and found yourself better at Go, but can you really point to something very specific that you did that directly attributed to your own improvement? How much of that stuff that you did was really the cause of it? And how much of the stuff was frivolous? I'm going to try to answer some of those questions. Now, there's two really common pieces of advice for players who are looking to improve. It's just advice that's just widespread. And those two pieces of advice are generally do lots of life and death problems, number one. And number two, play lots of games. But even these two mainstream pieces of advice have some dissent. If you look a little farther you'll see more discussions on these matters on whether this is really how you're supposed to improve because, okay, it seems pretty agreeable that Sumego or life and death problems are a good way to improve, but the more you look into it, you start hearing other things. There are people who say, I got to the Don level without doing more than 100 life and death problems. I don't do life and death problems, right? I hate life and death problems and I didn't find uh, them necessary to improve. And they say, well, with, if you just know your direction of play, you can actually avoid a lot of life and death problems. And I'm sure there's some truth to that. And there's also other people who say, oh, the classic advice of doing lots of life and death problems doesn't apply to adult improvers. And those are really for people who are starting Go at a young age, going into a um, some kind of Go Dojo or something, and, and that's how they train from a young age. But as an adult... It's not as effective. Who knows? Um, and then there's people who are against the whole play lots of games uh, advice as well. I've heard a lot of adult improvers, they, uh, they spend too much time playing games and they don't spend enough time studying. All of this stuff sounds kind of true. So let me try to dig into this a little bit more, offer a little bit of a nuanced opinion and give my two cents on why there's this kind of disparate uh, array of opinions regarding what you're supposed to do in order to improve. The main point I would like to drive home here is that there are multiple dimensions of learning in Go. Okay, to illustrate this point, let me talk about something else for a bit. Let's talk about tennis, okay? Now we can look at tennis as another game that has multiple dimensions in learning. I mean, pretty much with anything you learn, there's a, there's a lot of dimensions to it. But specifically talking about tennis, you have the forehand, you have the backhand, you have the serve, you have the volley, you have topspin, backspin, slice, lobs, drop shots, footwork, stamina, power, speed. And of course, there's you know also an element to strategy on the court. Now, imagine someone who's starting out learning the game of tennis and they're asking the stronger 
tennis players. Like, what's the most important part of the game? What should I do to improve? And you have some people saying like, oh, yeah, you really got to get your uh, serve. You know, the serve's a key part of the game. You can totally make or break games with a serve. So make sure you focus on that serve. Some people may say, ah, obviously, you know, a very, um, a very uh, good part to focus on is the forehand. Because if that's your strong shot, that's your strong swing, uh, that should be uh, something that you should perfect, right? And you may go off and say, oh, wow, I'm going to have the best forehand out of anyone. I'm going to just train forehand 24-7. Forehand, 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 forehand. And you find someone else who doesn't take that approach and instead distributes their training to each of the areas in proportion to how important it is to the game. And you'll see that obviously the person who only trains forehand has never hit a black backhand in his life is not going to do so well when the ball goes on his left side if, if he's a left-handed player or right-handed player, sorry. And of course, he may not even get the serve over the net if he hasn't worked on that at all, right? The point is here, going back to go now, is that there are a lot of different things you can improve at at Go. And you can't improve just by imp trying to improve at one of them. Uh, let's look at a, let's look at this whole life and death thing a little bit. Life and death itself. You may think I'm thinking of like, oh yeah, there's lots of different aspects of Go. There's uh, direction of play. There's life and death. There's Tsuji. No, but actually, I'm actually talking about within life and death, there are multiple dimensions. My first piece of advice for DDK players, if I could go back and tell myself what I should do in regards to life and death problems is, well, let me give you a little background first. I used to do a lot of hard life and death problems, ones that took, I don't know, 20 minutes or more to solve. I would just sit there thinking and I would just try to spend all the time just reading out all the variations until I was sure of the answer. And this is advice that you commonly see, right? You see people saying, when you're doing life and death problems, you shouldn't just click through the answers right away. You should try to read out all the variations until you're sure you found the right one. And it's good. But what is that actually training? That long form life and death is what I might call it, trains your reading capabilities. Right, because you have to imagine where the stones are being played and it's very hard to keep those images in your head. And you might think, Justin, of course, of course life and death is for reading. What else could it be for? Now here's something, let me argue, let me argue with you here uh, a bit about what else life and death could be good for besides reading. And that's... I don't know if shape is the right word, but let's call it shape for now. Learning different shapes and patterns. Maybe patterns are better. Now, if you are a very, you're a beginner, right? Anyone who's played Go for, for a while understands the bulky five and the farmer's hat shape, and you know where to play to kill it or to where to play to live. But 
let's say you just taught a beginner how to do that. And you just taught someone uh, what a farmer shape is, farmer hat shape is. And they say, oh, okay, cool. So for this shape, you just have to play in the middle of this uh, four point shape to kill this group. Let's say one week later, you ask them the same question. I mean, if they're a very bright Go player, they might uh, they might look at the shape immediately and goes, yeah, I remember this. And they, they may play right in the middle, just like last time. And they might have internalized it uh, very well. But I think that, especially if they're trying to learn other things too, they're going to forget a little bit. They're going to stare at this farmer's hat shape for a bit looking for the right answer and thinking, wait a second, is this the right answer? Is this the right answer? And then they'll eventually probably find it because it's not, you know, it's not a too hard of a concept. But the point is they took a couple seconds. Anyone who's been playing Go for an extended period of time will not take even a second to find the vital point of that shape. Why is that? It's because we recognize the shape. We recognize the pattern. And so life and death Sure, long form stuff will train your reading, but if you want to get better at shape recognition, you should do easier problems. Let's say you give that player that farmer's hat shape 20 times. By the end of that 20 times, they're going to know it pretty well, right? They're going to know, they're going to get bored of it. And by the next time you ask them, they're not even going to think about it. They're going to be a lev- basically Don level farmer's hat recognizer. And so you can see how when you're training life and death, there's multiple dimensions to the training. You can learn multiple things when you're playing life and death. Some of the life and death is endgame related, right? Some of them are just common shapes that you should know. Some of them are killing principles, right? So there's a lot of different dimensions of life and death. And so my advice for doing life and death problems, well, to me specifically back then would have been, hey, you need to do more easy life and death problems. You need to do life and death problems that take you just a few seconds to solve and really nail the like drill those into your head. That's what I would tell myself cuz like I always spent a lot of time doing difficult ones thinking that like just meditating on these difficult problems would be the best way to improve. And yeah, that did maybe that maybe did improve my reading ability a bit. But I was neglecting an entire dimension of training. And so there's, there's beginner gains to be made, right? Uh, if anyone uh, hits the gym, you, you know that the first few times you work out is when you will notice the most drastic change in your body. And it's like, if there's a muscle that you haven't been training, you need to go after that muscle and you need to train it because that's gonna, it's gonna be easy to grow in the beginning. So do lots of uh, easy problems. And do some of the harder reading problems. Uh, Just one more point about this whole life and death business between the reading and shape recognition. Um, This may be a little bit harder to grasp, but there are some shapes. Let's let's reel it back again to the uh, farmer's hat shape. If you ask someone who hasn't played Go to read the farmer's hat shape, and say, hey, you give them a farmer's hat life and death problem. And you say, hey, can you kill this group? And and read out all the moves it takes to kill this farmer's hat shape. Right? They may play, they may think about playing a stone 
in one of the other points. They may think about playing a stone on the outside. And they may try every single... And they may not even figure it out at the end of the day. Right? There's a lot of complicated stuff that can go on. If you play a stone in the... Or maybe like if it's a play-to-live situation, it's a little harder too, right? Because if you play like one of the wrong points on the farmer's hat shape, uh, the next move is a killing move uh, on a different shape. But in any case, simple shapes may be easy to you, but let's say you didn't know what the answer was and you tried to read it out. It may take a long time to figure it out. It may take surprisingly long and you might not even get there. Um, And that's because Go is really hard. And part of improvement is learning these shortcuts and recognizing these patterns and only doing these like reading style um, problems may be a little too much to handle. And you may have a better time efficiently studying the, um, the shape easier, easier, easier problems. Okay, moving on to the next A big piece of advice that people usually give is to play a lot of games. And the thing, the major thing that I would tell myself in terms of playing games would be don't be afraid of playing games and just keep playing games. Make it a habit to play games. I was very nervous about playing games uh, because I don't know, it's, it's something that kind of, I feel like most players will understand that when you start playing, you don't really want to play other people. It's kind of uh, there's like some tension there and you don't want to like dive in and there's something blocking you there. And I think that's very understandable. But if you want to improve and you want to enjoy playing Go, you got to get used to playing games. A lot of people, a lot of beginners, they will start off playing bots, which is fine for a bit. They'll start off on nine by nines, which is fine for a bit, but they never move on. Like their entire Go career is 90% nine by nine against a bot. And if that's how you want to play Go, I'm not going to yuck your yum or anything, but there's a lot of beauty in the 19 by 19 that once people understand the fundamentals, here's here's the fundamentals I would say that you should understand before you move on to uh, bigger board sizes. You should know the basic dead shapes, the bulky five, or sorry, the... uh, you know, the, the three in a row, uh, the bulky five, the rabbity six, or the fish is what I would more relate it to. Uh, the farmer's hat, and, you know, there's the basic, basic dead shapes with a, with a killing move or, or single move to live. If you understand what a co is and you understand the rule of co's, you understand how to end a game. You understand when a game is over how to mark dead groups and live groups. You understand what life and death is. You understand what two, what eyes are and why you need two to live. Um, and you understand what a ladder is. You understand... I think that is the... Those are the basics that I would expect you to understand. And once you know all that stuff, if you're checking these off and you're playing 9 by 9s right now and you're like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Yeah, you need to get to the 19 by 19 stat. Because 19, 19 by 19 is where it's at. That's where the beauty and the depth of the game is. I know that the 9 by 9 is a legitimately difficult and amazing game on its own. 
I'm not hating on the 9x9. 9x9 games are great. But there's a reason why when you go to internet, you know, the largest tournaments, if you go to events, people are playing 19 by 19. That's the standard. There's uh, maybe I'll I'll discuss a little bit more about the format in a future episode. But there's a, so much to go that you're missing. You're missing out on Joseki, right? Joseki. Like there's no Joseki in 9 by 9. The entire board is a Joseki. You're missing out on direction of play, larger strategic ideas. You're missing out on taking a base and attacking, right? All you're doing is spending your time doing Sumego, basically, like this nine by little tiny like Sumego battle, which is, again, it's legitimate, it's fine, and it's fun for those who enjoy it. More power to you. But if you haven't tried the 19 by 19, I strongly recommend you transfer over to that. And then the other point is about the bots. Uh, I strongly feel that you should not play against bots unless you're unless you can't find people who are strong enough to compete against you i don't think it's good to play against bots bots don't play like human beings do they don't make mistakes like human beings do uh playing against a bot is like it's like playing against someone with a superhuman right arm and they're walking up to you and they're about to punch you in the face. And instead they use their left arm and their left arm is super weak. And you're like, oh, cool. I can totally take this guy. And then all of a sudden the, the, the AI uses his right arm and smacks you and destroys you. Like with, and it's just very inconsistent play. Maybe we'll have better, more human-like bots in the future. But as of now... If I play a bot, I just kind of feel like it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes I'll like lose the game. I'll like have a game where I've totally lost and made the wrong choices. And then at the end, the bot just kind of commits suicide and just plays something really stupid because I don't know why. It's just artificial artificial weakness that, that's just been incorporated into the game. And so I strongly recommend you don't play against bots. It's just not a fulfilling experience. Um, you're better off playing against people. And there's no shame in losing. Don't be afraid of losing. You have to lose in order to... I mean, people, everyone loses, right? Even the strongest player loses. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Just play your game, lose, enjoy it, and learn. And try to uh, open your mind to new experiences. That is something that I would, I never really was, oh, I did play, a, you know what, I try to, I try to say that uh, I, I wasn't one to play against bots a lot, but I actually did. I remember uh, playing against uh, this one. It's no longer available on OGS, but it was called Kugutsu, and I played it over and over again trying to beat it, and I just couldn't. And I'm kind of sad, it's, I don't think it's available anymore, because I kind of wanted to go back and see like how much I've improved to see if I can easily beat it now, but it was like a... I don't remember how, how strong it was. Maybe it was like an 8Q bot or something. 10Q bot. I don't know. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, the other thing I was um, going to mention about going back to Sumego. I'm sorry about this. But um, the Baduk Doctor videos that I've been watching recently, he emphasizes a lot um, 
that you shouldn't use apps to study life and death. Because I think it's because the way that people normally use apps to do life and death problems is they don't really read everything out right away and they just click away and they just find the answer. They find the wrong answer. They go, oh, well, I guess that was wrong. And they go back, they reset and they try again and they try again and they try again until they get it. And he says that's poison, which is, I understand. But um, I admit I do still use apps to do Sumego. Uh, I just make sure that I am completely sure of what my answer is before I try anything. And I consider it a failure if I try a variation and it doesn't work it work out. Um, so, I mean, it's up to you, but uh, he, he recommends a pen and paper or over the board, which is, um, I mean, it's not always easy to do. You got to print stuff out. You got to write stuff. You got to set up your board. So it's not always convenient, but... Um, a good compromise may be uh, following his videos because you don't have the luxury of being able to tap on a point to check your answers and you have to just kind of make sure you have your answer in your head and then you watch the explanation. So I think it's a good way to study. And uh, that's going to be it for talking about things I would I wish I knew as a DDK player. And we're going to move on to a little bit of Go News. Um, just a little disclaimer about Go News on this podcast i am uh i'm recording these a week in advance so i'm not going to be the most timely person to go to for news but i will try to update y'all on uh some of the major stuff that happens um but some of the stuff will be ongoing so if you want more up-to-date stuff i recommend you look it up or uh or tune into the pro go badukwechi podcast which does an extensive coverage of the pro go scene but let's go over the Asian Games. Um, they've concluded the uh, individual event. Uh, to recap, the Asian Games is basically an Asian Olympics. It's a very large um, event of many, uh, many games. And uh, uh, Go was featured in it this year, uh, last one being in 2010. They had uh, two groups of nine, A and B. And the top four in each group would advance to the quarterfinals. And the, the players who advanced from Group A were from Korea, Shin Jin-seo, and Park Jong-wan, uh, world's number one and two, uh, Shibano Toromaru, world number 36, and Ichiriki Ryo, world number 22. Over in Group B, we have from Taiwan, Lai Junfu. Uh, world number 62, and Xu Hao Hong, world number 23. And then from China, in group B, we had Ka Jie, world number 3 advancing, and Yang Dingxin, world number 7 advancing. So that was our group of 8 players for the quarterfinals. Um, Xin Jinsa, uh what's it called? <laughs> Sorry. Um, Xu Hao Hong, and Koje and Ichiriki Ryo were the quarter finalists. No, they, no, those were the, yeah, those were the quarter finalists. Sorry. The, the previous round that I mentioned was not the quarterfinals. That was the, uh, I don't know what you call that. The, um, semi quarter octo finals. 
I, I don't know. I don't know what the name of it is. But anyway, uh, Shinjin Saw faced off against. Uh, so actually, let's let's tell this from from uh, Xu Hao Hong's point of view. Xu Hao Hong beats world number two Pak Chong Wan in the quarterfinals. Then in the semifinals beats world number one Shinjin Saw. And then in the finals, beats world number three Kaje, taking the gold for Taiwan. And that was all under 30 hours. And remember, Xu Hao Hong is world number 23. Nobody saw this coming. And I, I guess you could say that Taiwan. Anyway, um, the Transatlantic Pro Team Championship. Uh, is I think uh, oh it just finished two days ago but unfortunately I don't know who won I'm gonna bet it's I'm gonna bet it's North America because uh, round two was taken with another three nothing result from NAGF uh, over the EGF just as a reminder the pro transatlantic uh, sorry the transatlantic pro team championship is a battle between the North American Go Federation and the European Go Federation. And it's a simultaneous 3v3. First round was 3-0 for NA. Second round was also 3-0 for NA. So we'll see what the third result is. Um, you, you can look it up. It was, I think, at the time of this podcast release, it was two days ago, October 7th. And uh, now it's time for listener mail. Michael writes, I played in a Go tournament and had a game with a 10Q. At the time, I was 6Q, so my opponent took a 2-stone candy cap. The game was very peaceful and no fights were initiated, which was bad for me because they have a handicap and are weaker, so as we reached endgame, I felt behind. In this tournament, we were we are meant to take turns filling in Dame while hitting our clocks before we passed. She filled an Adame point, which was self-Atari of about five of her stones, and she was annoyed and sad. So I let her take it back because I felt bad. She was surprised by this, asking, are you sure? And I still let her. She won the game by 1.5 points. She felt bad that she had won this game when I could have and was offering to change the result, but I stuck to my guns. Looking back at this, if it happened again, I don't think I would offer for a player to take the move back, but when it's such an obvious, stupid mistake with instant regret, I'm not sure. What do you think? Well, let me give you my two cents here, Michael. Uh, a mistake is a mistake is a mistake, and you don't let someone take back a mistake when you're trying to win the game and you're fighting them. I understand why, okay? Look, I understand why you let her do that um, because you want to play the strongest player that your opponent can be and you want to play like you don't want to win off like a stupid mistake but uh, I believe in the legitimacy of mistakes and legitimacy of wins no matter how they are achieved and I don't think you should have done that I think you should have uh, taken the win I don't I mean I understand why you, it was a nice gesture I guess but uh, I think I agree with your second sentiment saying that you know you wouldn't offer and I think you should uh, not offer uh, someone to take. Uh, I've lost. A, I've lost a game in this exact way, and uh, I was not offered, and I did not feel bad for them not offering uh, for me to take that move back. So, 
Um, and then uh, Michael also continues to write, uh, also about playstyle, I am the same rank as you, but opposite in playstyle. I usually refer, prefer peaceful games because I'm so good at finding the biggest moves and I often make reading mistakes during fighting. My favorite part of the game is the opening because of this and because I enjoy memorizing Joseki. It's very cool how Go can have drastically different play styles such as Cho Chicken, and I'm sure this is not a typo because that's how you spell Cho Chicken's name, right? And Takamiya, I forgot his second name, it's uh, Takamiya Masaki. I feel like this doesn't really happen much in chess or other strategy board games. Uh, I think that's true. There's a lot of different um, flavor to go. And uh, yeah, chess is very deep as well, but um, I think Go is a, is kind of like a huge, huge universe of um, textures and feelings and styles. And it's beautiful. Thank you for writing in, Michael. The Elven Angel Catboy writes about uh, episode number six, I met Nick Sibiki. I met him twice at the past two Go Congresses. Super awesome guy. Played a game of Big Brother Go with him as Big Brother, of course, and Hidden Move Go, which he won, of course. Can't believe I got that lucky twice. Hoping to go to Go Congress next year and catch up with him again. Maybe one day I'll be able to give him a worthy, even game. I wish you the best of luck on giving Nick Sibiki a worthy, even game. I know what Hidden Move Go is because... Um, I've seen his videos where he plays Hidden Move Go. It's actually really fun to watch where you just basically um, have... Uh, it's almost like landmines throughout the board. You, you you take a moment to, like let's say, three like choose three spots on the board where you say that you have a pre-placed stone, like a handicap stone almost, but you don't tell your opponent where, they, where it is until they try to play there. Um... And then, uh, well, the other one you mentioned, Big Brother Go. I'm not sure if I know what that one is. I can kind of imagine it's something where, like... I know in chess there's something that kind of feels like uh, what you're talking about, where uh, someone is stronger, someone is weaker, and then the stronger player tells the weaker player which type of piece to move, and then the weaker player moves that piece, and they usually move it the wrong way. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm going to have to do some research on what Big Brother go in. And anyway, uh, thank you for writing in the Elven Angel Catboy. Lemony Stinker writes uh, about after the uh, episode six, I met Nick Sibiki. I just wanted to say thank you for making this podcast. I always listen to it when working and it's something I look forward to listening to. I recently started to get back into playing Go. And in your last podcast, you talked shortly about the Pasadena Go Club. I'm a member of the Pasadena Go Club and would love to invite you to join us. We meet every Thursday. Thank you so much. For, that's like probably the nicest thing anyone's written. Um, like it's, it's awesome to just think that someone like actually looks forward to listening to the show. And um, if you guys are wondering about how the podcast is doing, I've got like a hundred listeners or so consistent and that that's not... A lot but that's a that you know in one one hand that's not very much compared to a lot of the big podcasts out there but on the other hand it's a, it's a lot 100 people imagine that that 100 people uh, sitting in a room listening to me right now that's that would, that would scare the hell out of me um but yeah it's uh it's it's really great to hear that and and you know even if my audience were not to grow uh very much after this 
it would be worth it just to hear stuff like this and uh, see that there's some people out there who appreciate the content. So thank you so much for writing in. And oh yeah, Pasadena Goat Club. That's awesome. I, I definitely have to come check you guys out now. Um, I, I am aware that you meet every Thursday and one of these days, you know, maybe I'll make a trip. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for listener mail. I, I hope you guys don't mind me reading your uh, public Reddit comments on this tep- on, the, on the episodes. Uh, don't have too much people writing in so I can kind of cover everything and um, just kind of scrape in the barrel for content here <laughs> but um, maybe maybe when I if there's like too much to handle in the future I'll focus on you know direct email ins uh, but if you want to hear your comment on a future episode don't be afraid to DM me on Reddit comment on Reddit or on YouTube shoot me an email to uh, startpointbaduk at gmail.com that's startpointbaduk at gmail.com thank you so much for listening I'll see you next time keep playing Go see ya